0: Love, Hope, Radio.
1: Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio.
0: Hello,
2: and welcome to this edition of V-Radio, the first completely open-source version of V-Radio. I'm running Ubuntu right now on my uh, computer, and I'm also using the beta version of Skype that's been written for Linux. Uh, tonight we have a great show lined up, um, and uh, my guest tonight is going to be Frank Dorrell. Uh, one of the publishers involved in Addicted to War, uh, the book that I read from on an earlier broadcast. Um, Also, to bring before we even get into that, I have some updates uh, about a couple of previous shows, actually, that I'm going to be dealing with first. Um, The first of which is actually in regards to the last show that I did with Roger Stahl from Militainment Incorporated. And uh, he actually had gone back and um, looked into that movie, The Green Zone, we talked about the film that had been actually very um, critical uh, about the intelligence information used in regards to weapons of mass destruction in the war in Iraq. And lo and behold, uh, proof to find out, well, they didn't get any help with that film. Uh, The government obviously wanted nothing to do with it. Military wanted nothing to do with it. And they were, they had to produce the entire thing out of their pockets with, you know, no free access to any kind of equipment or anything like that. Big surprise. But, uh, now, um, in addition to that, uh, I actually you know, picked this up. Uh, this has to do with the uh, the old WikiLeaks uh, show that we did a while ago. Uh, in regards to that uh, WikiLeaks leaked video of those uh, soldiers in Iraq uh, killing, you know, people that were in it like first just like along the side of the road and then in a van. I'm sure you know if you're listening to this broadcast, you've probably already seen the video I'm talking about. Uh, but apparently, um, a couple of the Troops involved in that wrote an apology letter. So I'm going to go ahead and read that here. Uh, An open letter of reconciliation and responsibility to the Iraqi people from current and former members of the U.S. military. Peace be with you. To all of those who were injured or lost loved ones during the July 2007 Baghdad shootings depicted in the collateral murder WikiLeaks video, we write to you, your family, and your community with awareness that our words and actions can never restore your losses. We are both soldiers who occupied your neighborhood for 14 months. Ethan McCord pulled your daughter and son from the van and when doing so saw the faces of his own children back home. Josh Steiber was in the same company but was not there that day, though he contributed to, you, to, um, to the, your pain and the pain of your community on many other occasions. There is no bringing back all that was lost. What we seek is to learn from our mistakes and do everything we can to tell others of our experiences and how the people of the United States need to realize what we have done and are doing to you and the people of your country we humbly ask you that we can what we can do to be, begin to repair the damage we caused we have been speaking to whoever will listen telling them what was shown in the wikileaks video only begins to depict the suffering we have created From our own experiences and the experiences of other veterans we have talked to, we know that the acts depicted in this video are everyday occurrences of this war. This is the nature of how the U.S.-led wars are carried out in this region. We acknowledge our part in the deaths and injuries of your loved ones as we tell Americans that we are trained to do and what we carried out in the name of God and country. The soldier in the video said that your husband shouldn't have brought your children to battle, but we acknowledge but we are acknowledging our responsibility for bringing the battle to your neighborhood and to your family. We did unto you what we would not want done to us. More and more Americans are taking responsibility for what is done in our name. Though we have acted with cold hearts far too many times, we have not forgotten our actions towards you. Our heavy hearts still hold hope that we can restore inside our country the acknowledgement of your humanity that uh, that we were taught to deny. Our government may ignore you, concerned more with its public image. It has also ignored many veterans who have returned physically injured or mentally troubled by what they saw and did in your country. But the time is long overdue that we say that the values of our nation's leaders no longer represent us. Our Secretary of Defense may say the U.S. won't lose its reputation over this, but we stand and say that our reputation's importance pales in comparison to our common humanity." We have asked our fellow veterans and service members, as well as civilians both in the United States and abroad, to sign in support of this letter and to offer their names as a testimony to our common humanity, to distance ourselves from the destructive policies of our nation's leaders, and to extend our hands to you. With such pain, friendship might be too much to ask. Please accept our apology, our sorrow, our care, and our dedication to change from the inside out. We are doing what we can to speak out against the wars and military policies responsible for what happened to you and your loved ones. Our hearts are open to hearing how we can take any steps to support you through the pain we, we have caused. Solemnly and sincerely, John Stiver, former specialist, U.S. Army. Ethan McCord, formerly, former specialist, U.S. Army. So it's actually kind of ironic that I got this, considering what the, today's subject is going to be about. Um, I think it's interesting that we hear this apology now. Uh, I'm actually going to ask, uh, you know, one of my people who's on the line now, Gilbert, were you on the original WikiLeaks show? I can't remember if you were on that day.
0: Yes, I was, I was on. I, I believe it was the original one. Well, yeah, it's uh, quite surprising to see them coming out in.
2: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But um, let me go ahead and uh, actually go ahead and introduce our guest, and maybe he'll have something to say about this topic. I don't know for sure. But um, I put the link in the chat room for those of you who want to read the letter yourself at a later time. But um, Mr. Frank Dorrell, um, actually, I'd like you to go ahead and introduce yourself. And also, before we get started, um, can you tell us you know, and the listeners exactly what got you involved in all of this and, and how you went from being a regular citizen of the United States to being somebody involved with all of this anti-war activism?
1: Okay, Neon, Thanks for having me on. Um, that was quite a letter you just read. Um, And I do work with Veterans for Peace and Iraq Veterans Against the War. You know, these are people who have been in war and and have chosen to speak out. Um, What got me involved in this anti-war work I do, which is what I do, is about 25 years ago I discovered KPFK Radio here in Los Angeles where I live. It's part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I'm sure you're aware of it. Amy Goodman's part of that. And I had a job as a driver for USC, University of Southern California, Mm-hmm. I drove all day long, and I discovered KPFK 90.7 FM Radio in Los Angeles, who has no sponsors, kind of like you, and right. so they can put on people like like I am now, people telling these truths that you don't hear in the mainstream media, you don't, you don't hear about growing up in, in the United States, people telling the truth that isn't what we've been taught. And I got educated in the car uh, whew, big time, listening to so many various ex-military people, ex-CIA people, people like Ramsey Clark, former attorney general and many other truth tellers who have, you know, Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky, the list goes on and on. And I was just, I just, I was learning and I just got involved. I, I bought the books, I bought their audio and videotapes. I went, when these people came to LA to speak, I went out to see them. I got involved with veterans for peace right after the first war in Iraq, the Gulf war, I joined up there and I became involved and I was educating myself. And learning more and more, and boy, the more I learned, the worse, the worse, you know, it is. It's just an incredibly horrible history of what the United States has done to people around the world. And I tried telling people about it, and I tried um, giving people these things. And Anyway, to cut it short, I, I had this idea about making a, a film, putting as many of these truth-tellers on one film as I could, and I did that 10 years ago, and it's, it's my film called What I've Learned About U.S. Foreign Policy, The War Against the Third World which uh, I'm quite proud of it. I didn't film any of it, Neil. I edited it from speeches and from documentaries. And um, we can talk about it if you want later, but it really lays it out there for anybody who watches it. I think you've seen it. it. It really, anybody who looks at it, it's hard to stay in denial after watching my film. And it's 10 years now. And I think it's been seen by millions of people. And then I found this book, Addicted to War, Why the U.S. Can't Get Militarism, by Joel Andreas, who a comic book, History of U.S. War, anti-war book and he wrote it initially in 1992 after this after the Persian Gulf War and I found it in 99 and I contacted him and he told me it was out of print and I said we should bring it back it's the best thing I've ever read I have a whole library of books on U.S. foreign policy got all the great authors and uh and after 9-11 happened and Bush became president and 9-11 happened Joel updated the whole book and we brought it out with AK press and uh printed 20,000 copies in 2002. And to this date, there's there's at least 240,000 copies that have gone out of English. And the number, it's in about 12 languages around the world now, so I don't know what the total number is. But between the book and my film, both of them really tell this story that people need to hear and understand. And that's what I've been doing. I work with a lot of other peace groups. I work with Veterans for Peace. I am a lot of different people doing a lot of different things in the movement. But it's all about trying to wake up, I'm sure this is what your show is about, Wake up more Americans to understand that these things will continue. Our country will continue killing innocent people all over the world until the people of this country stand up and say no. And my place is they can't do that if they don't know. So what I've been, you know, with the book and video, is trying to help educate people through this. And uh, that's what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, I have to tell you, I mean, um, I actually gave your book uh, to all of the people I was on my trip to the Venus Project with, um for. And, uh, in fact, I gave a copy to Roxanne Meadows and she liked it so much. I believe she went and bought like 10 copies from you to give out to her friends. So, um, yeah, it's that, that book in particular, I mean, I, at some point I, you know, I'd also hope to do a show at some point with the author, but I was really, you know, happy that you were able to share it with me, you know, and I'm looking forward to other people, you know, getting their hands on it. The book Addicted to War, Really lays it out in a very sobering fashion, and I find that the the comic book format uh, actually, in some ways, what would I say, it, it kind of disarms you, uh, you know, isn't that you, you know, because it's a comic book. For some reason, it feels different when you're reading it, and then that allows them to put like pictures in it every now and then. I remember in particular the picture of um, that that pile of bones. I can't remember right. what war it was, but oh my God, it was like something out of the Holocaust. But it was an American yeah. soldier standing on top of that pile right. of bones. That's
1: yeah. the first first picture in the book, and it's uh, it's a it's Spanish-American War. It's uh, U.S. soldiers standing on the bones of thousands of dead Filipinos, and it's a real picture. The book is, of course, full of illustrations all through it, but it does have some real pictures, and that is you, you picked out the first real picture in the book, and it is pretty heavy because. All those years ago, we killed all these people in the Philippines and said we were liberating them. And that's what, that's what the history has been. You know, we go in these countries and say we're helping or something, we're liberating, we're fighting their evil leaders or whatever, but we're, that's not what's been happening. And, and you're right, the book is so easy to read. But when I first got, my first copy of it, it came in the mail, and I sat down and read the whole thing in one sitting, in about an hour and a half or so. I'm a slow reader. Somebody else could read it in an hour. And I just thought, oh, my God. He's got it all here. It's, all, it's right here, and it is people-friendly. The book is you know, it's narrated by a mother and son. It's very human, and it takes you through, and, and it has 161 reference footnotes, so you can see where all the information comes from. Joe Andreev goes to Howard Zinn and Elm Chomsky and Michael Prenny and William Bloom. He goes to government sources, newspaper articles, so you can see where all this information comes from. All the quotes in the book are real. It starts from the beginning of the country and goes all the way through these two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. But there's humor in the book that's very human, and you laugh a little, but ironically, he puts the truth right in front of you, and I don't think it's sarcastic. It's very people-friendly, and very, it's not against soldiers. It's right on the front of the cover. It's in, endorsed by better for peace. So it's a very unique book, and uh, I'm very um, honored to be part of it and working with Joel and Andreas and getting it out there. I don't do this to make a living. Uh, the reason so many books are out there is I sell them for so cheap, you know. But over the years, I've had so many people buy them by the boxful for me because they love the book, and when they find out I sell a box for two fifty a book plus shipping, you know, people have just ordered box after box. for me. some people order hundreds, thousands. Helson bought 1,000 books for me. Wow. <clears throat> I'm rambling on here. Ben Cohen from uh, True Majority of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, mm-hmm. he's, they've bought probably 2,000 books for me, and Veterans for Peace have bought thousands and, uh, but it's out there. And the other thing is the book is in high schools, it's in colleges, it's in history classes, it's in uh, political science classes, international relations. Um, you know, this is something when I grew up, I'm 62, there would never be a book like this in my school, in any school yeah, I, I was ever in. So that's something positive, you know, that the fact that this it's allowed and there are teachers that understand the material and want to use it. And uh, our big news was three years ago, the San Francisco High School District um, got a copy of the book. Uh, one woman, an activist, took the book to the board of education. There was a, a, a group of people under uh, a subcommittee who recommend books, and they, they she gave them the book. And they all recommended it, and the school board all read it. They all recommended it, and so uh, th- three years ago, the San Francisco High School Board of Education uh, made our book official. And I said four thousand books up there. That was a pretty big deal.
2: Yeah, I'd say it was, and I honestly, I totally understand it too because. Um, it was a great read. It was very easy to read. And I think that it's because it's because of the comic book, you know, format, it's easy for people of, you know, most ages to relate to as well. I mean, I know I plan on, you know, having my children read it when they're old enough to comprehend it. Um, and I, you know, it's, and also, I think what I really liked about it that was very sobering was some of the quotes. Uh, yeah. there's, there's quotes in there because like, for example, you know, in the, in the Zeitgeist movement, we quote, uh, Smedley Butler, uh, in fact, right. I did two radio shows about his book. Um, but you know, the, the Smedley Butler quotes in there are really good. Um, that weren't in his book. They were, but they were in your book. Uh, really? Yeah. They weren't
1: in his book. <laughs> um,
2: well, they're, well, they're, Smedley Butler wrote his own book called um,
1: yeah. "War Is a Racket."
2: Yeah, "War Is a Racket." A and, good
1: book. A good yeah, book. Yeah.
2: There were some quotes that are in um, uh, that were in "Addicted to War" that weren't in there. I think they were just him talking, but he was detailing mm-hmm. the different corporate interests that he worked for. Right. And, and stuff like that, and how he could tell that war was just BS, and that was like back before, I think he was predicting World War II, that's another thing that was scary about his book, mm-hmm. is when you read it, he knew World War II was coming, and, and but anyway, uh, there's the quotes from Smedley Butler really hit me, the uh, the quotes from congressmen around the time of the Indian Removal Act
0: uh, yeah.
2: really, really had an impact on me, being Native American, but you know, it's another thing I generally have to remind people because there are a lot of people in the the end the Fed groups and all that that think of Andrew Jackson as a hero, and I tend to have to remind them that Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act into law. Um, but most people, when they think about it, they they you know they usually I've heard these arguments before because, um, like for example, Ayn Rand, the the author, the libertarian author, uh, mm-hmm. she. Uh, basically condoned the slaughter of the Native Americans. She didn't say it in that words exactly. She said that we had a right to take over the continent because we're civilized and they're not essentially. I can I did a whole show on that earlier, but the point is though is that they, they, they say that there was, well, they supposedly attacked us and all that. And when I look at what happened with the Native Americans, you know, and I'm not saying that some of them didn't cause problems because some of them did, but like, for example, the Cherokee Nation, we were all civilized, they just wanted to be left alone. They had their own constitution. They were dressing in modern clothing. And they you know, but they lived on land that the United States wanted. So they uh-huh. just pushed the Congress and then suddenly we're going to war with the evil red man and, you know, the Trail of Tears that is the Cherokee being forced out of their land was an excellent example of a group of people who weren't harming anybody but just happened to be on, you know, land where people wanted or where, where people wanted I'm sorry, the, the land in question. Um, it, was
1: a, it was definitely a holocaust. Absolutely, the holocaust of the Native Americans who already lived here, of the indigenous people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just like there was a holocaust of the African people they brought here as slaves.
2: Yes, and that's, and it, it's interesting actually because you know people, they, the patriotism thing is really high, and I don't, I don't want to hammer on people that are entirely patriotic. That's not the issue. It's just I don't think people who think like that really realize what it is that they're talking about. I don't think that they necessarily um, really comprehend everything that has been done to build this country, you know, and Mm -hmm. they glorify the founding fathers, and then they leave out the part about how the founding fathers believed in little things like, oh, you know, slavery. (laughs) Yeah. That's the argument I usually get into people because we talk about that in the resource-based economy. They're like, well, you know, private property rights, you know, the founding fathers. I said, yeah, you know, the founding fathers believe that private property could include, you know, other human beings. Um, But but the point is just that there's so much about history like that that I don't think that people understand, you know, that you know, and I mean, why should they? I'm actually really happy that schools are taking your book because, you know, I didn't hear anything about any of that when I was growing up.
1: Well you, know. well, you know the you know the phrase or the term you know history is written by the victors, the people who run the, who run the country have have written the history, and the history books and the and but um, of course Howard Zinn, the people's history of the United States, his book laid it all out there, mm-hmm. and we're like, uh, you know we only covered basically the war aspect. Howard Zinn covered so many other things, but Howard Zinn endorses our book, he loved the victory war,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I got a quote right here from Representative Giles of Maryland. Back in that time, we must march from ocean to ocean. It is the destiny of the white race. Back then, they just said it. Yep. Nowadays, I don't think they quite go that. They don't say it that far, but you know.
2: Well, no, they have to come up with other ways to do it.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but that's what's what's so great about the book. Like you say, it has all these great quotes, and there's a few good guy quotes in the book too. Most of them are the bad guy quotes, but there's a few good ones here. But it's, it's just it's it's so accessible to people. And uh, if they're open, if somebody if, if somebody's opening, I'm sure anybody listening to your show already is open. So, you know, it's like good people and most people obviously are good people. Most people don't want to do bad or harm to others. They've just been lied to. And the and the, uh, the lie, it's what I call the big lie. It's because it's so big that the people in the, in the mainstream of this country can't admit it. They can't admit to this history. They can't admit to the truth of 9-11. They can't admit to all these genocides and these current wars that are all a bunch of lies. And so, but luckily, there's a lot of people in this country that, that are working against this. And so we're trying to get more people to understand so we can stop killing people and stop ruining their lives and starving them and, take, you know, and, and work with people. If we spent one-tenth of the money that we spent on the military, if we spent one-tenth of the money to help people around the world, we could probably feed the whole world. But the problem is the power to be, they don't want to do that. They want to stay in power, keep their power, and they're willing to go to these incredible lengths to to do this. And the people in this country are caught in the middle, sort of. And, of course, a lot of people are just trying to make you know their life work, right? And do they have a job? Do you have a relationship? How are your parents doing? How are your children doing? You know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people, this is kind of a bit too much for them. But I believe if people knew this stuff, they wouldn't support it. The problem is that it just, it's just hard for a lot of people to believe because it's not what they've been taught. And, you know, we do have a lot of freedom in this country. You know, I even have the freedom, we have the freedom to do what we're doing. I've been doing this for 10 years now, and so far nobody's come to take me away. <laughs> so
0: I am a veteran myself.
1: I wasn't in the Air Force, so, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, but i have nothing to hide. I mean, this is a history, and it's not only a history because it's currently happening. The war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, all these people dying are dying for lives. The Afghans are dying for lives, the Iraqis are dying for lives, and the Americans who are dying are also dying for lives for the for big business, for the corporations, for the military-industrial complex. You know, and, and, uh, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the uh, the book is one really good way for people to get this. Yeah, if somebody wants to buy it, they can go to my website, adikitswar.com, but here's something else. If they can go to the website, they can read the book there if they want. It's, all, it's up there on, on the website. So someone doesn't even have to buy it; they can just read it yeah. online if they want.
2: Yeah, Gilbert. What, was there something you need to say?
0: No, no. I was just confirming. I just I went to the website just uh, a little bit ago, and I was very happy to see that it's just freely available. Of course, it's also very handy if people buy the book in a physical form. But the fact that it's available to read—that that's great.
2: Yeah, that's actually it that is great. And you know, I actually wanted to ask you, Gilbert. You know, kind of for a you know outside the United States perspective. What, what is education like in the Netherlands? I mean, do you feel that they, they were honest with you as a child about the state of war and, you know, uh, you know its effects and, like, perhaps who was involved? I mean, I don't know what the history of the Netherlands is like, but do you feel that you've got a better education as far as the reality of the world in the Netherlands?
0: Yeah, I think I do. I'll tell you, tell you something funny. The last cabinet here, we, we have a kind of different political system than you do in the United States. We do have a, a democracy, but... It's not two parties. We have a lot of parties and the ability to start more parties uh, that contend for, well, political power. So at one point, you probably have 10 parties competing for what you call seats in the parliament. And if you have majority uh, with one or two other parties, that can then become cabinet, so to say. That's what we call it. So the last cabinet fell over the Iraq issue because they let, uh, some institute do investigations as to why we went to war together with the United States in uh, Iraq and uh, uh, well the conclusions were so uh, devastating for the current Parliament that they actually fell over it. so uh, that's uh, something nice. but to get back to your original question, uh, yes, I do feel that we uh, get a better idea about how the world works. Of course uh, it's it's the same indoctrination but it's more subtle here and there's more uh, ability to get in in touch with the material that is out of the box so I, i do feel that we get more opportunity to at least think that way than americans do
2: right no that's i understand completely and you know it's I've often thought about that just because like a lot of the things that actually got me started on the path that I'm on came from when I was back when I was playing star Wars galaxies an online video game. And uh, I was on a ventrilo server and I would meet people from all over the world and, and hear their various, you know, uh, opinions of things. And that was back before I was even politically active. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, that, you know, you, you talked about how much you know better things were over there. I mean, like when we talk about these things, like what would you say the European opinion of U.S. foreign policy is?
0: You really want to know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know the answer because I've been to Europe, but I'd like you to say it.
0: Well, um, the first impression you get, whoa, they're aggressive. You know, um, it's it's really seen as as imperialism, like trying to build an empire. That's how it's perceived here, and uh, it basically we're most of the people that I talk to look at Americans and and say, well, uh, they have the ability and the will to do this, but man they are dumb you know in a way like the people how they respond to the government's actions it's not it's not even surprising to most Europeans that it's happening because there's just a select few people in that country with with bad intentions that have the ability to to actually think and reason and for the rest, it just seems that, that seven out of ten Americans are really dumb people. So, I mean, looking at foreign policy uh, in this country, sorry, looking at U.S. foreign country in, from the Dutch perspective, it, it, it's not surprising. It's aggressive, and uh, we, we just feel like it, it would help if Americans would broaden their insight and educate themselves then I think it would be a completely different country. Absolutely. Now, um,
2: Frank, did you have any perspective on that?
0: Well, obviously, people in other
1: countries can see it better because they're not necessarily getting the propaganda we get here. The propaganda we get here that comes from the mainstream media, who, once again, the mainstream media is owned by the people who own the country, who own the war machine, and who want to, and he's right, it's it's an empire there. They're building here, and they're doing it by killing people around the planet. And um, you're not going to see the truth or hear the truth in the mainstream media. If somebody is some national anchor or somebody high up in the media in this country tries to tell this truth, they'll lose their job. So luckily we have this alternative media, which we're part of right now, and and it's gotten bigger and bigger over the years, especially with the Internet. And uh, I think uh, eight years of Bush and Cheney helped get more people involved. But it's just hard to get a lot of people to see it because they don't see that they need to see it. And it's easy for them to say to us, people like you and me, you know, well, I don't believe you. You're anti-American, you're un-American or whatever. What you're saying, that can't be. There's always some excuse, you know. Because for somebody to see that what it is we're saying, it then means that they prop they really need to get involved and take take uh, get get interested in this and try to do something about it. And when you do that, you find out it's not so easy. But I don't know what else there is to do. You find out that your country is doing all these wrong things and you want to change it. And so that's what all of us in the peace movement are about. And it's, there really is a big peace movement in this country. There is. The mainstream won't tell, won't say that. You know, have you ever, ever gone to like an anti-war rally? I know I was in San Francisco two weeks before the war broke out and before we attacked Iraq here in 2003. And there were like 200,000 people in this, in this uh, rally I was at, right? It was over there with the books. And the media said there was like 20 or 30,000. That's a typical way they do that, you know. But I don't know. I just try to be encouraging to people and always try to tell people you can do something. Get involved. First, educate yourself. You know, read the book. Watch the video. Or get involved. Listen to Amy Goodman, whatever it happens to be, and educate yourself. And then, you know, try to to get other people to see these things. And one thing I've learned over the years is, is you just can't tell people they are, are ignorant or they're dumb <laughs> because that doesn't work, you know, if you tell them that because – they're just misinformed. And what we're trying to tell them really is shocking. It's really, it's like we're trying to tell some people that the very foundation you're standing on, that you built your life on, isn't really real. It's kind of phony in a way. And, and so it's hard to get people to see it, but on the other hand, what else is there for us to do? So, mm-hmm. um, try to be positive to people and try to get people the benefit of the doubt. I try not to argue with people by I say, look, if you, here's a, I have this book, I have this film, I have other, other, Resources I can, I can get you. You know that's what you know I can do. If they don't want to do it, I move on. Um, right. You know yeah, we, we uh, do the
2: same thing a lot in our own movement. But it's you know it's interesting that uh, you know I think you know, the other really great thing about that book is it is so well researched. You know I mean he doesn't make any crazy claims, and you know it's there's a lot of really strong data that's 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 just presented there. You know with the quotes to back it up. And it's it really. I have to say that that book is one of the things that made me realize. I remember, I remember the day. Although do I, I don't remember what I was doing, but I remember the day coming to the realization. You know, I was like, "Wow, we're not the good guys."
1: Yeah, we're, we're that's not what it the is. That's right. You know, and that's, that's what
2: it is. And I remember, like I, you know, because I still sometimes every now and then I'll, I'll play video games and stuff, and I was like. You know, like Modern Warfare 2. This is a fairly enjoyable game. Why do I like this? Oh, okay. It's because it's fiction, <laughs> and I can be a good guy in this game.
1: <laughs> right.
2: You know, that's. And it, you know, there are other games that are like that too. But it's. It, it, mind you, it's. We just had a show, actually. You know, militainment. We were talking about the the military recruitment tools that they're making out of video games and movies nowadays, um, and just how, of course, they need to have these. You know, movies that glorify that and make you look like the good guys and then you get over there and you're finding out it's not necessarily like that you know i mean it's every you know military person's experience is different of course but you know i remember this one friend of mine you know i was like so how are things over there and he's like i have like eight-year-old children throwing rocks at me i was like well that sounds pretty rough he's like yeah this is this, this the biggest waste of time he's like that was a lo- really long time ago i mean now he He's been there so long he's decided to become, like, career military. I, you know, I couldn't reach him. But still, it just, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily hold up to scrutiny. And I think, uh, you know, actually, another film that you brought to my attention was that American Holocaust. I believe you were the one who sent me that, actually.
1: Um, right.
2: That, that it's, movie. It's, ca-
1: it's called Vietnam American Holocaust
0: oh, my by Clay
1: God. Claiborne. And my friend of mine here lives here in Los Angeles who made that film, married by Martin Sheen. And it's brutal. Look at what we did to in Vietnam. Brutal, brutal, brutal. You know, killing of millions of people there, and torturing, and raping, and burning down villages, and killing men, women, children, and making games out of it. And it, these, this comes right from the soldiers' mouth. Um, a lot of the soldiers who were there, they testify after that war, um, after Vietnam, in the thing called Winter Soldier, which was all those years ago. They had that recently too for the Iraq veterans against the war winter soldier hearings here just a year or two ago but you know not every soldier is going to say this not every soldier is involved in this stuff but horrendous and they teach them to kill people not the, the bottom line of that movie was they were told to kill they kill 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 and after you've killed them their body counts and uh if we're in someone else's country killing them that, that's the deal in vietnam and in korea and in iraq now and afghanistan and all these other countries we're involved with we're in those countries killing their people, invading. Oh, man, all Americans need to do is turn around and how would they like to have another foreign power in our country dropping bombs on us, driving down the street, shooting people at checkpoints, coming into your homes, you know, and and the things that we... But we can do it because the United States is the most powerful nation in the the world. We are the only superpower left. We have more military spending and military at at our disposal than probably all the other countries in the world. And they, we use it. We meaning the powers that be here. Right. And it's not going to end um, from the government stopping it. It's going to only end when enough Americans stand up and say no. So uh, is from what I can see. you know, There are a few people in the government that know about these things, not too many. That can, that you speak out, you get made to look so bad. You, you look like you're un-American. But I think a lot of people can't see it because they just can't believe it. It just can't be true. If this was true, the liberal media would tell us. People tell me that all the time. That's another big myth that the media is liberal. That's a really big myth.
2: Oh, uh, it's but, you know, um, they, they do a good job of trying to pretend to be. But I mean, like you know, you watch films like Orwell rolls in his grave, Outfoxed. I mean, it's you know, at the end of the day, it. I mean, it's the media is what will make it the most money at the time, and yeah. you know, if they need, you know, they need to be able to appeal to liberal listeners as well as conservative listeners, and therefore they've got to be able to at least pretend that they're liberal. And, but you still don't see. I mean, like you know, if you want to get it, you know, like, you still see the same kind of, you know, like you know, the Dennis Kucinich, for example, the you know, the the left side, Ron Paul, so to speak. You know, still got yeah. you know just as squelched as Ron Paul did. You know, uh, my friend Senator Gravel, when he was a Democrat, you know, they did everything they could to ignore him. Um, I met I met him. Yeah, he's. he's, a, he's I met a, him,
1: and he had the book too, by the way. He already, well, I met him, gave him the book. He already had it.
2: Yeah, and, I, and I, my I film. Think I gave.
1: Him. I, we. Maybe you are the one who gave it to him, you yeah. know. Dennis Kis, I know Dennis Kucinich. he's read the book, he's seen my film, he speaks out, but it's hard. It's just hard, you know. Cynthia Kenny is another person I know, you know, the former congresswoman from Georgia. Right. Cynthia really speaks out. She she travels around with copies of my film to give to people when she travels around the world speaking. And of course she was just too much for this country for the government, they couldn't handle her. They had to get rid of her. Um, but it's you know, oh huh boy. Um now, it's hard.
2: No, it is, and it it's it's designed that way. It's to self perpetuate yeah. all of these negative systems. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the little film that you put together. That was kind of a compilation of other stuff. I I really liked it. I've actually watched it several times and recommended it to my viewers on uh, Zeitgeist TV on more than one occasion. But uh, um, you know, like I remember in particular the one that really stuck out of my head was that much older documentary that was linked in there that had uh, like the truth about those death squads that we trained to act in South America, you know, that stuff was just chilling, you know, and people didn't really know about it. And it's right. You know, and it's funny. I mean, like when I, when I, when I put that together with uh, the the stuff that economic Hitman talks about, are you familiar with, uh, you know,
1: it's definitely, uh, it's, it's very, my film goes right along with everything he says in his books, you know, uh, my film is called What I've Learned About U.S. Foreign Policy, The War Against the Third World. And I, once again, I made it 10 years ago. And once again, I didn't film any of it. I edited it together from speeches and from documentaries. I think the documentary you're talking about has 10 segments. And the documentary I think you're talking about is called School of Assassins. Yep, about that's the it. School of Americans. School of America is located in Fort Benning, Georgia. It's our own terrorist training school right in the United States where they train soldiers and military types, mostly from Central and South America, who go back to their own countries and oppress their own people. And this has become so well-known. The man who's been leading that fight to close the school of America is his father, Roy Bourgeois, who was actually a Navy captain in Vietnam, and he was a Republican conservative when he went to Vietnam. And after Vietnam, he realized he didn't want to be part of such things, and he became a marital priest. He went to Bolivia, worked with the poor people there, and he saw all this oppression down there, and when he got involved in looking at what was happening there, and he he discovered the CIA was involved with the oppression and the death squads and all in Bolivia, and he spoke out. They threatened his life and ran him out of the country. And then some years later, he discovered that the School of Americas is where so many of these dictators and military types in Central and South America were trained at. It was originally in Panama, run by us, and then they moved it to Fort Benning, Georgia. And so Roy, for the last 20 years or so, has been leading this uh, this, uh, cause to close the School of Americas and Father Roy Bourgeois, who's my, he's, my, he's my friend. I mean, he is, you can't get, in my opinion, any higher than Roy. He's the greatest person. He's humble. He's the real thing. He's a, he's a beautiful man. Everybody loves him. He's always respectful of people, and he walks the walk. He has spent over four years in prison, not at one time, three or four different times, for going over the fence Fort Benning. The one, first time he went in there, he actually went up and, oh, it's a long story, but he's done, he, he's, he does so much. And every year, it's a week before Thanksgiving, they have a big uh, protest there at at Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia for three days, and I've gone the last eight years now, and the last years, as many as 25,000 people come from all over the country to peacefully march in front of Fort Benning to demand to close the School of americas It's the greatest thing I've gone to. It's just the people there are so fantastic. They're from all over the country. They're students, high school and college students. They're senior citizens. They're priests. They're nuns. They're... Peace activists, they're veterans for peace, and they come together to peacefully, you know, demand to close of the School of Americas. And Roy and the School of the Americas Watch has done such a great job in all these years that in the recent year, the vote is almost—they've almost—they've almost passed the, the you know, the, the, the bill to close the School of Americas. It's that he's made that much awareness in our country, and um, yeah, that's part of my—it's uh, that segment, School of Assassins. It's um, narrated by Susan Sarandon, uh, and um, Roy allowed me to use the, the 13 minutes I've used. It. It's a great film, and it's just one of 10 segments of my film that give this history, once again, like in the book, but in a different way of seeing it, this history of U.S. foreign policy. My film starts off with Martin Luther King uh, speaking out against the war in Vietnam. Martin Luther King knew all about U.S. imperialism. He spoke out, and we believe that he was killed for, for his um, speaking out because he had millions of people living to him. And then I have two ex-CIA people in my film, uh, John Stockwell and Phil Agee. Both were high-level CIA people and both were in the Marines. And both spoke out for years about what the CIA had done all over the world. And I have the, the School of Assassins video. Um, I have um, Genocide by Sanctions, which is Ram, the former Attorney General Ramsey Clark in, in Iraq uh, between the two wars during the time of the sanctions in Iraq, where the sanctions were killing 5,000 children every month um, for more sanctions against Iraq. And um Amy Eagleins in my film and uh Brian Wilson uh, the Panama Reception won the Academy Award for Best Documentary made by the Empowerment Project, my friend Barbara Trent and David Casper. Um it's about our invasion in Panama uh and how we killed thousands of people in that invasion of Panama, supposed supposedly to get Noriega, the drug dealer, who was on a CIA payroll. And that's a beautiful film. And the other film uh the other film on my uh on my on my documentary uh it's, it was made by the empowerment project it's called cover up behind here on contra fair it's also uh, made by them and all, both of those films are narrated by the late Elizabeth montgomery who if you if you ever watched reruns of bewitched that was her she's the star of bewitched and those are incredibly well-made films and you add it all up and then the last segment of my video is um s brian wilson my friend s brian wilson who like father roy went to vietnam as a republican conservative in the air force as an officer and what he experienced, he he, he he witnessed the village that we had bombed, and he, when he went out to look at the damage, he, he, um, he went out and he saw what he estimated to be over 100 people dead, no weapons, mostly men, women uh, women and children and old men, and he had what he called his epiphany right then in 1969 that this couldn't be right. And Brian's been speaking out ever since, and he's the, he's the well-known for in 1987, he was run over by a naval train carrying weapons in Concord, Northern California, him and two other veterans were on the track saying, no, they didn't want these weapons being shipped to Central America to kill people in Nicaragua, El Salvador, and Guatemala. And they ran them over and cut off his legs. And Brian is this uh, another incredible man, very much like Father Roy, um, very human, very um, humble, very, has dedicated his life to the truth. And uh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to be publish, public, co-publishing Brian's new book coming out. It's it's going to be his. It's his life story. Going to, the title is going to be um, Blood on the Tracks: The Life and Times of S. Brian Wilson. And Brian's the closing segment of my video, and he's just the most incredible person. And uh, you can if you can go to his website s.brianwilson.com and just read anything he has. It's all on the. It's all on my website too. When you go to my website, you can see what all my films about besides the book and a couple of the other films that I um, distribute. One of them is called On West. I might have sent that to you. Yes, you did. It's the, anti- it's the best anti-recruiting film I've ever seen, made by my friends Peter Dudar and Sally Marr. It's just incredible uh, film. The students are showing that film to, to high school students around L.A. when they see it, to assemblies. The kids won't listen when they see that film. And the other film I have listed on my website, right on the front homepage, is called No More Victims. And that's a group run by my, my good friend Cole Miller and his wife Ann Miller. And they brought 10 war-injured Iraqi children to the United States, all seriously injured by us in Iraq and he's helped to bring those, he's not helped, he's brought him, the, these children to this country with one of their parents, arranged for uh, medical treatments by American hospitals and doctors, and in the process of doing that, he's gotten on the mainstream, he has gotten on the mainstream uh, media because there's Americans helping, and so he, he's able to actually say on the mainstream media sometimes, he's said that these injuries to these children are the result of U.S. collateral damage, and they let them get away with it, and I believe that's because they're actually Americans helping in this case, but... All these people are doing the same thing. They're all trying to, to um, enlighten other Americans to the horror that is being unleashed in our name with our tax money. So, sorry for that long rant, but
2: No, that's fine. That, that's, Actually, you, you touched on a lot of things I wanted to touch on, and I I do remember that segment about sanctions. Uh, I never really thought about it until it was presented in that film, just how bad yeah. sanctions would really be. I mean, how yeah. long do we have sanctions on Iraq? I mean, I know... Uh, it was never effective, obviously.
1: Well, it was effective in killing their people is what it was. They had the yeah. sanctions on between the two wars. Probably it started before the first war in Iraq, and the Gulf War, started by Bush, George Bush Sr. And then Clinton kept, continued them all along. And then people in this country, whenever you questioned about it in the government, they would say, oh, it's not our fault. The sanctions aren't killing the people that Saddam Hussein is. And nobody defend, ever defended Saddam Hussein in the peace movement. He was a bad guy, but the, the reality is, and I've talked to many people from Iraq who've told me, yeah, there were a lot of bad things happening in Iraq when he was when he was in charge. but compared to what it is now, there's no comparison because he spent a lot of the money on from the oil profits to give them a, a modern technical society with health care and with um you know modern things like we have here, and he did kill his enemies and stuff, but the amount of people that were killed then compared to the, what's happened between these two wars we put on there. It's probably over 2 million people have died in Iraq from the two wars and the sanctions. And, and that doesn't count the millions injured and the millions displaced and a country that is in shambles. We had a father and a, a daughter, his daughter of Sally Alawi. Uh, she had her legs blown off um, by a uh, U.S. bomb a few years ago in Iraq. And her, they were here. My friend Cole brought them here. And they, were in our, they stayed in our house. And we had an event for them. And, and, and she's this beautiful little girl. She had both her legs lost. Her brother was killed in that same bombing, and her sister lost a leg. And her father was asked at at our event we have, what's it like in Iraq now? And through the interpreter we had here, the father said, um, who I have to know, a very nice man, he said, what do you imagine hell is like? And that's actually what I thought it would be, but I've never been there. But that was his answer. And I'll never forget tonight. we had Sally and her father here, about 100 people in our house, because when he got up to speak, he was crying, and he, st- he apologized to all of us. And we're all going, what are you apologizing to us for? We're- it's our country that's killed your son and-, and took off your daughter's legs and is destroying your country. And he says, I'm apologizing to all of you because I never knew there were Americans that cared, that were against the war. I- I'm getting emotional here. Yeah, sorry. But my friend Cole Miller, what he does is not just helping the children, and getting in the mainstream media, but when this father and his little girl went back to Iraq, he told every, all his friends and family that there, everywhere he met were Americans who were against the war, who were Americans who cared, who were Americans who you know were giving to him and his daughter, and he, they didn't know that they, they, they thought there that we were all behind this, you know so but uh, of course, we're not behind this. who would want to do these things It's, it's, it's insanity, it is absolute insanity. And the fact that they continue doing this is really crazy, just really crazy.
2: Well, that's, you know, and it's, it's funny, and it, it takes stuff like what we're doing here that really requires for people to come to terms with that. That's why I, I refer to that American Holocaust film, because I can't even look at Vietnam the same way now. Yes. Ever since I watched that movie, it's, it's just, I think of Vietnam totally differently now. And, yes. you know, you're saying that he's, you know, you're friends with the guy, I hope maybe you're still in contact with him. It'd be great of course. Him. His
1: name is Clay, Clay Claiborne. He lives here in Venice Beach, right here in Los Angeles, and the, the name of the film is Vietnam American Holocaust. You can Google it and go to his website. and uh, it's it, you know, we got Martin Sheen to narrate it, and he did a fantastic job of that film, and it's but I always want people, that film is really brutal because it shows the brutality, you know, of killing millions of people in their own country. And what's but really the,
2: telling, I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of ironic. You have Martin Sheen, the actor from Apocalypse Now, narrating and I know he's yes. He's really involved in the peace movement too. Um. Uh,
1: Martin is a total peace activist. Martin Sheen endorses addicted to war. Martin Sheen has been arrested at Fort Benning, you know, uh, crossing the line at Fort Benning, Georgia, protesting the School of America. Martin Sheen has been arrested so many times that he—I don't even know how many times. Martin has spoken out on all these issues. He's there when we need him. Martin is just—you know—I've met Martin many times. Uh, I'm, a, I'm on the board of a, of a, a organization in Los Angeles here called the Office of the Americas, not to be confused with the School of the Americas, to, because the Office of the Americas is is led by Blaise and Teresa Bonpain, who, who are the heart and soul of the peace movement in Los Angeles and are connected to people all over the country. It's through Blaze and Teresa and their group that I met, Father Roy and Martin Sheen and so many others. And I i first heard Blaise Bonpain on KPFK cl- close to 30 years ago telling these truths. And he still has a show on every... Sunday at 10 o'clock on KBSK. He's 81 years old. I just saw him last week. And uh, these are, there's a, a lot of great people doing this work. And Martin Sheen, Ed Asner yeah. is another one who's part of that group. And you know the film director, Paul Haggis, who directed in, uh, the movie Crash and um, won Academy Award? He's part of that group. He's part of this Office of America. Is. There are a lot of famous people involved, you know. Uh,
2: right.
1: You know, if you look at the people who endorse our book, you know, Susan Sarandon. Uh, Martin G. Ed Asner, the list goes on, Chris Christopher uh Woody Harrelson, and, and uh, many, many others, you know.
2: Right, you know, and it's it's actually, I wanted to uh, talk to Gilbert a little bit about this. Now, I mean, it's, um, Gilbert, um, would you say that, at least in the European perspective, are people aware of the fact that we do not, you know, that actually the majority of the populace in the United States do not support things like the war in Iraq? Is that known?
0: Yes, definitely, it's known. <clears throat> it's also um, it's it's also shown by the media here. Actually, you know, that's why I say the media here is a little more subtle and allows a bit more than in the United States. I guess here we are aware that that there are a lot of Americans that uh, that do not support the war. But of course, there's a continuous question then why do why do the Americans still vote those people in power that are going to do those things? So I mean, yeah. but yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: To be fair, Obama promised us he'd get out of Iraq. <laughs> yeah, mind you,
0: yeah.
2: I don't put any stock in that personally, but you know he did. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to be true, but you know honestly, well, the thing about him before you start in, Frank, is that after talking to Mike about him, meaning Mike Gravel about him, it's it's one of those things because I've done this myself. I've been in an office like for a nonprofit organization. You think becoming a president suddenly makes you able to make things happen, and then. You get there, and you're suddenly going, wow, maybe it's not as simple as I thought. You know, I, that's the impression I get from Obama, is that although, yeah, he's he's, he's bought and paid for, I, I really think he had some good intentions, and I also think he found out when he became president that it's just not possible. The the system is set up to make sure that one guy can't do it. So, yeah, we-
0: and to add on that, I've been listening, because there's, of course, uh, for you, it's easy to change the American per- perspective on it, but... One thing that I, I think is good also to address to Frank is that, it's, of course it's horrible the things that are happening there, but there's also a system behind it that reinforces such behavior, so I can't really see any of the people making such decisions as necessarily bad. It's the whole system behind it that makes a country and its people uh, do such things for monetary gain in some aspects. So. There's an underlying problem that I feel that needs to be addressed uh, alongside what you guys are doing, which is great. It's it's awakening a lot of people, making them aware of the the things that are going wrong and what we are doing wrong and what the U.S. is doing wrong as a country. But often it's forgotten that there's a whole system behind it that reinforces that kind of behavior.
2: What were you going to say, Frank? Go ahead.
0: Well, as far
1: as Obama goes... um, it's quite a trick they managed to pull off because, you know, if you look at him, first of all, it's, it's, a, it's a really positive and good thing that a black man or half-black man or whatever, become president. That's progress. That is. But the, the thing is, the, the problem with Obama is he, he seems intelligent. I'm sure he's very intelligent. He looks like a good guy. He speaks well. He looks so much better than Bush. Bush really, I mean, for my opinion, Bush looked like an idiot and he was scary, and he scared people. And here comes Obama, and he doesn't act that way. He, and I, people are all kind of think things are all better because he's president. You know, I wore a shirt around every day that says no water. People say to well, me, why you wear that, man? We have Obama now. Well, he's continued the wars under his presidency, just like what's happening with Bush. In fact, I know people, my friend Brian Wilson, Cindy Sheehan, who's also I'm friends with, and many others who think things are worse with Obama because people... A lot of people in the peace movement think things are better. A lot of people think things are better because he's president, and they're not as active as they were because when Bush was president and Cheney, with Cheney in there, people were very active because they were very frightening They listen to them and at them. So it's kind of a trick they pulled off here. I don't know what to do with Obama. Is. I don't know if they threatened his life or he was just their guy all along or what. But he's gone right along with all this stuff. You know, I'd just love to hear him say some truth sometime, but. I don't know. I have a feeling that if a president did, they'd probably pull a plug on him right there. But, um, you know, he he went to that church. Remember this whole deal with the Reverend Wright, his minister?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Remember this? And he had to disown the guy because the guy preached about U.S. imperialism. And right. Obama went to that guy's church for like about 20 years in Chicago. And that guy is somebody who would, could have been on the phone with us talking about the things we're talking about. Because I know he agreed. And Obama, if he was in his church for all those years, you'd think he might have been learning some of this stuff. But. You know, like um, Gilbert said there, I, it's very hard. They're not going to let somebody come president who's going to try and change things. The last one who did that, you know, was Kennedy, and they killed him. Right. They killed him. They assassinated him. He tried to get, get us out of Vietnam. He he was he didn't want to do some of these things. He was going to get some big business decisions. And uh, he also called, if you remember this, he called the CIA a scourge and said he was going to splinter it to a thousand pieces. That was in, like, some major newspapers. And he fired Alan Dulles, who was the number one head of the CIA all those years ago. And he was dead within a year. And then Alan Dulles sat on the Warren Commission, you know, so I don't know As Brian Wilson says on my film, I don't think we can count these political structures in Washington DC to make these changes. It's it's true grassroots peace activism through the movement through what we're doing now for people to wake up and feel. And if you see my video, Brian Wilson is such a great speaker at the end because he says we have to feel in our heart what to do. But he says, I know that with a, without a nonviolent revolution of consciousness, we will not survive. And Brian really puts it in the most human form. We have to take you know responsibility and get involved. And uh, so that's what we're all doing here. It's just that a lot of people, they don't want to see it and they don't feel they need to. Um, I think a human, for human beings, a, a rule is people don't usually get involved with something unless they feel it affects them directly. So a lot of people don't feel that these things all affect them directly. And so,
2: um, That's one of the things I think that actually Arlington West really brought to bear with me was that I don't think you really realize the numbers of dead people until you see some kind of physical representation. Yeah. And um, what Arlington West was the one where they were making that, that false... Uh, Cemetery on a on a beach,
1: right? You know, it was started by Veterans for Peace in Santa Barbara in 2003, Mm -hmm. and and we heard about it, some of us, and we went up there to see it, and and uh, we came back down here, and we started. Veterans for Peace in Los Angeles started in February of 2004. We built the first crosses. My friend Andy Manoff, the first 600 crosses in my garage, and 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 now every every Sunday there's over 5,000 crosses. We're uh, in Santa Monica, we're, uh, right here in Santa Monica where I live. Um, it's, we're in the best location anybody can ever be because we're right next to the Santa Monica Pier. I don't know if you know, Santa Monica is a, is a very popular beach town, very popular for locals and for tourists. So every Sunday out there, this memorial goes up, and it's huge. It takes hours to put up, and people on the pier and people going to the beach, they see it. They see the sea crossing. They go down there to see what it's about. And there's a sign that says that it's a memorial to the soldiers who have died. And there's, we have the pictures and their name and ages and all that. It's like a temporary Vietnam wall. But there's another sign there that says, in or, if we were to honor their dead Iraqis, we'd have to cover the whole beach with crosses. And then that sign is honoring the dead Iraqis. Anyway, it's a great thing, the memorial, and these people that put it up every Sunday, it's incredible, the Veterans for Peace and the volunteers that work down there. And then once again, my friends, uh, Peter Dudar and Salimar, who made the film, called and West, it's take, they take the, the memorial off the beach and they take it into schools and show a shortened version of it into the high schools, and they show it to the whole assemblies, and they'll bring in some of these veterans, uh, uh, veterans against the war, and they bring in some of the parents whose sons have died, like Cindy Sheehan, and um, Jane Bride, there's a whole bunch of them, Mando Suarez, uh, and they're so effective to, when they speak to the students the students, you know, aren't being told this. The students, you know, they're getting told, talked to by the recruiters who are trying to get them to join. Yep. And so I Peter and Sally, so aren't the best. Uh, it, it's just it's the best anti-recruiting thing It's so human. It's so, you feel it. So you really feel it, you know. And
0: um, yeah, it so there's
1: a lot being done. There's a lot being done.
2: It definitely affected me emotionally. Now, we're down to the last two minutes. So, Frank, um, can you give out your website address again?
1: Sure. It's it's the name of the book. It's www.addictedtowar.com. Addictedtowar.com. They can see what the book is there. They can read the book there. They can order it from there. They can order my film there. I ask $10 for the film, $10 for the book if they want to buy them. I have these different films I talked about are listed there. My phone number is on the website. My email is there. It's all there. You can read up. I have all kinds of sources, resources there. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for having me on, you know, for doing what you do, man.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. And, um, to the listeners, uh, also please remember to visit vradio.org, v-radio.org. v still looking for donations to get through this month. Uh, and, um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and thank you to everybody who rebroadcast this, uh, rebroadcast this stream. And thank you Gilbert for coming on again.
0: You're very welcome. Always a pleasure. And, uh, nice meeting you, Frank.
2: Yep. Um, and, uh, Keep in touch, guys. We've got a lot of great shows lined up this week. We've got Blue Gold, World Water Wars. Uh, the, that filmmaker will be up soon. Uh, and uh, we'll also be working on the Future of Foods filmmaker. We'll be on a future episode. So, And uh, not to mention uh, Energy Action Coalition Group is also going to have a show here very soon. So keep tuned in to V-Radio and visit v-radio.org. Thanks again, everybody. I'm going to leave you with some words from Jacques and Roxanne.
0: This is Roxanne Meadows.
1: And this is John Fresco.
0: And you're listening to V-Radio.